The Lord really upgraded me when He brought Jen into my life, didn't He? Thank you for doing such a good job on the offering always. And um, giving us something to put our faith to when we're looking to give to the Lord and, and enact His promises and covenant for prosperity. You look up at all these flags on the walls and it takes prosperity to take the Gospel there. And we have to, everything that we do and see and, and touch um, needs to be through the lens of a biblical worldview. And what is a biblical worldview? Well, it's seeing through the lens of heaven. Seeing through the eyes of our King. And everything that we look at, everything we come up against, every situation that comes into our hands, that we see it from a kingdom perspective, not a kingdom of the earth, but a kingdom of heaven perspective, which will influence and touch the kingdom of the earth. And so for you and I, we have to become more and more and more aware, don't we, of that kingdom perspective. Certainly, we have been stewarded with many things. We've been given the opportunity to steward many things. That's part of prosperity. You know, we live in, in the richest nation in the world. We live in so many opportunities are at our hands. And in the time and season that we're in, we can touch the world in, with a Zoom call, right? And so, we have so much that you and I are responsible for. I have much I'm going to answer for. Did I use it? Did I not? Did I squander it? Did I steward it? Right? And so, um, you know, that touches not just finances, does it? That touches time. It touches our relationships. It touches everything we've been given. One of the things that you and I have been given has been this nation. These United States of America. And so, we certainly need to do our part in stewarding that nation. You know, it's been, you and I might not have, some people have immigrated here. Do we have anyone that um, immigrated here? Let's see your hand. One, two, three, four, five. Awesome. Five of you chose this nation. You know, the rest of us, we were just born here. And we didn't necessarily choose it. It was given to us. And so, you and I are responsible for tomorrow in this nation for our children and for the day after and, and so forth. So, let's be courageous to be willing to stand like Daniel and make a difference and steward what we've been given. Don't get caught up in Americanism. Get caught up in kingdom of God and how you should steward that in America because it's been given to us. Hallelujah. How did I get off on all of that? Anyway, it's good to be here with you this morning. And we're going to jump right into the sermon. And we have been in a subject called changed into his likeness. And we are looking to become like the father. If anyone says, oh, you're just trying to be like God or be like Jesus, yes, that's my goal. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. Even as often as I fail, I'm going to come back and keep trying on that and put my face to that. And, and our text, we, we've been using two texts for this. Uh, one is in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. 
you can go there and then we'll go over to Romans chapter 12. I have so many scriptures to get to today, so thankfully I'm up here maybe a little earlier than normal. I've had people tell me, we always know that when Pastor Sid is preaching, there's going to be lots of scripture verses. Good. You could not give me a better compliment. So in, in 2 Corinthians 3, in verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We sang about that this morning. We all, with unveiled faces, are reflecting the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So by His Spirit, He's working in us, and as we look to Him, we begin to take on His characteristics. We begin to look like Him. We begin to shine like Him. And if you stand there long enough, you'll take on His brightness, and you know the enemy can't tell the difference. Is that God or so-and-so? And if you have submit, James says, if you submit yourself to God, you resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Well, the reason he flees from you is because you've God's authority on you and it's, it's God, right? That's what he's running away from is, is the authority of God. And it's not something that we did unto ourselves. It's something that he's given to us, yet you have to choose to stand in it. It's a choice. So let's go to uh, Romans 12. That was our other text that we've looked at in leading into this series. I think this is number four so far. Romans chapter 12, we're going to read verse 1 and verse 2. Actually, I'll back up to verse 36 of 11. He says, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Here's why, brothers. Or therefore, that's what therefore means. He says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. You know, you and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the mercy of God. If justice were truly to be served to you and I, then we'd just be a vapor of smoke by now. But because justice was served but to Jesus for you and I, you and I can stand completely right. That's called the mercy of God. Did you know where God would have mercy on you? He'll also have your miracle for you. Anytime Jesus had mercy on someone, you see the answer to their problem show up on the scene as well. He had mercy on them and was moved with compassion. Thank God for His mercy. Did you know that you can come to the throne of grace and find what? Mercy. Find mercy, help, and grace at that throne. Mercy, help, and what is grace? Well, it's God's ability coming to help you do something you can't do for yourself. Ah, right there is a whole sermon. All right, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is The good, pleasing, and perfect or complete will of God. How many of you, sometimes you see partially what the Lord is wanting you to do? But if we're going to see the perfect will and and step into the perfect will, that means you need to see it. The perfect means complete will. Not just the partial will. So God's will is that you know His will. 
In fact, in Ephesians, he tells us, don't be stupid, but know what the will of God is. And then he goes on and says, be filled with the Spirit. And so by that infilling Spirit is where you get the knowledge of what God's will is. And as you yield to His Spirit. So let's look here at verse 2 again. Don't be pressured to this age. Don't be shaped to the age or to this culture, we could say. But be transformed. That means to be continuously changed into, transformed into His image. How does this happen? Well, it happens by the renewing of our mind. And we know that as a man thinks in his heart or in his mind, so is he. You know, the Scripture talks about thinking with your heart a number of times, but you can't think with that physical heart that pumps blood at all, right? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about your spirit or your mind on the inside. So as you think, you know, the thoughts that you think, the things that you dwell on, that's what you do. You know, before you walked over to the pantry and pulled out the frosted covered sugar bombs to pour into your bowl for breakfast. Before you did that, you thought, I want to eat something. And then you went over and you thought, well, which one of these tasty morsels do I want? Well, I want this one. Everything took thought. It was by your thinking. These things, God hasn't decided this for you. You decide it for you. That's why your thinking is so important. You know, if so many people, they, they serve, they believe they serve a God that just decides all things. And they're just puppets. But we know that's not true. We know that we take responsibility for what we do, and we do what we think. I'm saying what we dwell on, not a passing thought. We'll talk about that later. But what we dwell on, those, those thoughts in us, they become us. You know, the sum total of your life right now are the thoughts you've thought up until now. Some of you like that, some of you don't. But it's still true. You know, just the fact that you're here this morning is because you thought and took that thought and said, okay, let's go. And acted upon it. And here you are. So we are going to learn how to think. That's what we've been doing. Because there is a right way to think and there's a wrong way to think. How many of you ever thought something then later went, wow, that was way off? You know, that was, that was completely wrong. Well, that happens to everybody. And so we are interested in what does God think? How does He want us to think? Uh, several weeks ago, and the last time that we looked or were in this series, um, I'd asked the question, what is a thought? And we looked at, well, a thought isn't something physical. It's not something you can hold and touch. But rather, a thought is something spiritual. And thoughts are, words carry thoughts. Words are containers that carry a thought within it. And as you release these thought containers out of your mouth that are called words, that Proverbs says the power of life and death is in the tongue. Right, And so what are you releasing? Well, you're releasing spiritual substance. You know, if you go all the way back to the beginning at creation, when God created the earth, He had a thought. God is a spirit. He had a thought. And then He spoke it. And as He released that, word con- I mean, that thought container in the form of a word, He released it. The Holy Spirit went into action and creation took place. You know, light be and light was. And 
you know, all the way through creation, we see that working. And we see that if life and death is in the tongue, well, we're not talking just physical life and death, we're talking spiritual life and death. So it's encapsulated in your words. Words give life to your thoughts. Whether it, I know this sounds wrong because it's not saying it right, but whether it's life unto death, your, your words are giving, your words give your thoughts life, whether it be to death or to real life. You understand what I'm saying? They, they make your words active, let's put it that way. Your, your thoughts. Your words make your thoughts active. That'd be a better word than life. So, what are you believing? Because as you think, you believe. And as you believe, you act. So what, what, are, you, what are you believing? You know, before you believe anything, it first came to you as a thought. Whether it be a lie about yourself. You know, I'm just a troublemaker. Everywhere I go, there's problems. You know, if you believe that about yourself, someone presented that to you the enemy, and you believed it. Right? So what do you believe? Maybe you believe that everywhere I go, there's light and liberty and life because the Spirit of Christ lives in me and the law of life in Christ Jesus sets me free from the law of sin and death. So where I go, there's light and life. Peace and joy. If you believe that about yourself, that means that you thought something. You thought a spiritual thought that the Lord spoke about you. Said about you. And you begin to act on what you believe. Does anyone here believe they are an elephant? Anybody? Okay, because I mean, if you do, we'll cast that devil out of you. <laughs> um, but nobody here woke up this morning and thought, well, man, I need, I need to uh, go out and wash my trunk. You know, an elephant. I need to go eat elephant food. And no, nobody woke up and, and acted that way. Why? I know that's a ridiculous example, but the reason they didn't act that way was because they don't believe they're an elephant. What you believe is what you act on. Okay? And um, so we're going to ask, what are you believing? More importantly, what report are you believing? You know, Isaiah 53 has a report. In verse 1 it says, Who has believed what we have heard? Who has believed the report of the Lord? And he goes on talking about healing and how that came at the cross. Or will come at the cross because Isaiah was before the cross. He's prophesying it hundreds of years in advance. That He bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. And by His wounds we are healed. Well, this is all something that is a report and you choose whether to believe it or not. That's why the writer here is asking, who has believed his report? Do you believe it? You know, if you believe the protection promises of God, you will act completely differently than if you don't believe those protection promises. I'm just apply that into our culture today, a culture of fear that we live in, right? If you believe Psalms 91, the promises that are there, you're going to act completely differently than you will if you believe the gossip and the noise and the fear and all the everything that's going on in society. So how, what are you acting? Whose report are you believing? You know, when the doctor gives you the report that you've been diagnosed with whatever, 
Do you believe that report or do you immediately go, yeah, that's what the doctor says, yet the report of the Lord is this over here. And so remember, what you begin to release out of your mouth, those thought containers, words, they're going to put action or cause to come into place the things that you're thinking. So, guard your thoughts. Alright, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to look at verse 9. This is that famous love chapter. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Who's writing? Paul. The mighty Paul. Paul that had revelation like, I mean, amazing. And Paul himself is saying, we just know in part. We're only seeing part of it. We're not seeing the whole thing. You know, if you jump down to verse 12, he goes, now we see indistinctly as in a mirror. You know, it's like it's through a dark tinted glass. We don't see real clearly right now. You know, as soon as we step out of this physical body that has so many limitations on it, there's gonna, we're just going to be completely amazed how sped up things are. How clear things are. How this whole fog that we've just accepted as normal is like, wow, isn't this amazing? That's going to be our, our we're going to feel completely free. Not hindered and dulled and slowed down. Well, here Paul, that's the the state we're in in this physical body. Paul said, we know in part, we prophesy in part. And if you look in verse 10 and 11 now, when the perfect or the complete is what it means, when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man... I put aside childish things. So, is there a childish way of thinking? An immature way of thinking? Well, a child doesn't understand what an adult does, do they? I mean, they can ask you how something works and you don't even, even though you could perfectly explain to them how an engine works, like if you have the knowledge of how a gas engine works, If a two or a three year old asks you how it works, they simply don't have the vocabulary nor understanding to make sense of what you're saying. Basically, they're going to come away with, oh, there's fire and horses under there. (laughs) You know, horsepower and, and, you know, they're just not going to understand things. I remember to our our little ones, we would, um, one time they overheard me saying someone was fired and they wanted to know what happened that he got burned. You know, uh, you know, they just haven't had the experience, they haven't matured yet enough to have the understanding. So they think like a child. They think very short term. Right? They think of as in the next minute or two. It's difficult for a real small child to think far into the future. Like an hour or two. No, just wait. We're almost home. But I'm hungry. I know. We're a mile from the house. It doesn't do me any good to tell me now. Just wait till we're at the house. And as you're in the driveway, I'm hungry. Well, there's no food. We already see their, their reasoning, their logic, those things just aren't developed like an adult's are. But the same way spiritually, come on, for you and I, we can be in those same shoes. Be real short-sighted. 
I mean, we look and how many, how many of us, all of us have been guilty of this. Okay, I'll just answer it for you. All of us have done it. But we, we have treated sometimes this life like it's the only thing there is. Right? Like, man, everything it, it depends upon this happening right now. I remember one time something happened and, and it, was, it was offensive to me. You know, it hurt me. And, and it seemed like it was orchestrated by the enemy against me. And I remember thinking, how can this be? And, and the Lord told me something. He said, you know, is it going to matter in 10 years from now? That's a real short... I mean, that's like saying to a child in, in, a, in a minute or five minutes from now or ten minutes, right? Because it's start, or an hour. So he says, is it going to matter in ten years from now? I'm like, wow. I probably won't even remember it in ten years from now. So no, it doesn't matter at all. See, if we start taking a mature perspective on things, suddenly we'll, just, we'll pass over a whole bunch of opportunities for problems and strife and troubles and getting bogged off into the thickets and places that the rabbits don't even go. Alright, let's look over into Proverbs chapter 14. So there's a childish way of thinking. There's a mature way of thinking. And we want to become mature in our thinking. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right. Man, it looks right. You know, just looking at it, it seems right. There's a way that seems right, but its pathway goes to destruction. And, you know, the devil comes as an angel of light. That's a scripture. He likes to disguise himself as the right thing. He wants you to believe that he presents himself as real close to the truth. You know, it's real easy to recognize the devil when he shows up with a pitchfork and a set of horns. Right? Go, oh no, you're the devil. Get out of here. But when he shows up like an angel of light, real close to the truth, and presents you with truth and then some not truth, that becomes much easier to swallow. Right? If I hand you a, a packet of rat poison, you would be like, well, I'm not going to eat that. But if I go put a couple pellets into a brownie, Maybe you would eat that, right? And not recognize that it was, it was something poisonous in there. He's like, you're not taking brownies from him anymore. <laughs> you know, the devil's going to defeat you every time that you engage him with your reason and logic. He'll defeat you. He's been around a long time. Those foul devils and fallen angels, they have seen a lot. And just in the, from the natural mind, they're smarter than you are just simply from experience of seeing things and being around for a while. So don't engage them with your mental capacity, with your logic or with your reasoning. Um, instead, engage them in the realm of faith and with faith and from faith. And in that way, you'll always overcome. You'll always defeat. You know, 1 John 5.4 says that whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Our faith. And so that's how we defeat the enemy when he comes. And um, even when he's trying to disguise himself as the right thing. So we're working around to what do you believe? Whose report do you believe? Do you believe every thought that comes? Just because a thought gets presented to you, should you 
assume it's truth. You know, there's a mindset that is right and there's a mindset that's wrong. You don't need to turn there. I'll just quickly read Romans 8, 5, and 6. For those who live according to the flesh, think about the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit about the things of the Spirit. For the mindset, everyone say mindset. Mindset Mindset of the flesh is death, or you could say leads to death. But the mindset of the Spirit, that's your born again Spirit on the inside, is life and peace. Life and peace. So the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. Put up Proverbs 18.17 on the overhead if you would. 18.17. While you're finding that. You know, also in Proverbs 12 it says the thoughts of the righteous are, are just or they are right. The thoughts of the righteous are just. So you being the righteous, your thoughts need to be centered on what is right. On what is just. Your thoughts need to be set in stone, in concrete, into truth, right? Anchored there on the rock. And um, it goes on and says the guide, that guidance from the wicked leads to deceit or deception. Guidance from the wicked because it's a false report. You find Proverbs 18, 17, the first to state his case seems right until another comes and cross-examines him. Have you ever experienced that? Man, if you have more than one child, you've experienced that. One child comes, man, they wronged me. They present a convincing case. I mean, we should probably go crucify the other child. (laughs) Because they deserve it. Until the other child presents their case. And it's like, wow, that rascal you over there, this one here clearly dispels this case. You know, if you watch a court proceedings, you see that. You know, man, it seems like an airtight case until someone asks the right questions and and comes and has a different angle. So is it wise to believe the first report you hear? Does that mean you should believe the second report you hear? No. They might both be wrong. You know, one of my least favorite exercises is these games that people like to play. My children like to play them with me all the time. They're, they're learning slowly that I don't bite. Dad, would you rather be stabbed in the foot or stabbed in the hand? <laughs> well, see, that's just a wrong question. So I say, neither. There's always another answer, right? You know, all those would you rather and pick two horrible, two horrible options. Which would you rather do? Well, neither one of them. And so... And so we laugh when they do that, and and I say to them, I say, you know, the devil will always present you several options, and they're all wrong. Don't choose any of them. Don't think those things. There is a right way that is right and doesn't just seem right. And so when, when the enemy presents you two bad options, you can either, you know, live with this sickness and put up with it, or just lay down and die. Which one do you choose? Well, neither. Right? I'm not going to choose any one of those. And so, whose report are we going to believe? The report we believe is the one that we meditate on. The one we think on. The one that we give space in our head and we spend time looking at. 
Remember, we're looking at the Father as in a mirror and we're reflecting Him. Or if you look at COVID-19 or you look at the news or you look at, at poverty or you, whatever you're looking at is what you're going to reflect. But those are the things you're going to think. Those are the things that you become. You know, in Proverbs 16.28, it says a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. That's in the NIV. A gossip separates close friends. What is gossip? It's a story. Yeah, it's a sin. There we go. I like that. Gossip is a sin. You know, gossip may or may not be true. You know, when they a tale bearer doesn't mean that they're lies. It just means they're saying things. They're telling you something. And so here, you know, a perverse person stirs up conflict. And a, a gossip separates close friends. Well, we don't want to be party to strife or separating friends, do we? So, but if you just believe something, when someone comes along and gossips to you about, have you heard what so-and-so did? Really? Why would they do that? That's crazy. Wow, I used to think a lot of them. They, they, they really went off the deep end, didn't they? Well, why are you just so quick to believe a negative report about somebody that you don't know if it's true or not? Proverbs 26, verse 20. Without wood, fire goes out. Without a gossip, conflict dies down. You know, in our our society today, in our culture, the constant rattle of the news, all the gossip, most of it's not even true. If we would cut all of that off, just stop all of it, this whole planet would transform. It would change. People's thinking would change. Yet they keep presenting thoughts to think and how to think, and they're not truth. And the little bit of truth that is sprinkled into it, it doesn't take you long. You become jaded and you say, well, I don't believe any of it anymore. You know, because they're untrustworthy. And um, so, without wood, fire goes out. Without, you know, the media, this whole strife and division in the country would die down. All these racism lies, that's all gossip stories. Does that mean that someone has never been treated racially? No, I'm not saying that there's still hate. Hate exists, okay? It's called sin. And as long as you haven't yielded yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're likely to have hate in you, and not just for a race, but for people. And so it's a sin problem, yet the racial disparity they claim is in this nation is not there. It's just not there. And it's, it's false propaganda. Verse 21, as charcoal for embers and wood for fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. A gossip's words are like choice food that goes down to one's innermost being or into the chambers of the belly is the literal translation. Gossip is like choice food. Man, it's like you know hors d'oeuvres. It's like the best bite of it. Because man, it's so juicy. It's just... It, it, you know, who doesn't like to get the latest news, the latest scoop on, an, on something, the latest, yeah, did you hear? 
Well, if you're, if you're still taking joy in that, you need to get a hold of yourself and say, no, it better be the report of the Lord or I don't want to hear it. My family that I grew up in, they, it's a large family on both sides. My dad had, uh, there was eight of, eight of them in, in his family and ten in my mom's family. And uh, being good Mennonites, most of them all had large families. Um, so I have lots of cousins. And man, you want to talk about the, and we were, we were a tight-knit family on both sides. We lived, most of us lived in the same community. And so there was no shortage of family around us in Missouri where I grew up. And um, gossip chain was just impressive. <laughs> I mean, like things could be spread faster than Wi-Fi, you know. And it didn't matter if it was true or not. And, and they would often talk about, yeah, we're not going to gossip and Man, it was still gossip. It'd still go on. And, and they'd, they'd gossip to each other how they're not gossiping. Their prayer, prayer request, did you know? <laughs> and later in life, we, I determined I wasn't going to be that way. Because I saw the damage that happened to several people from it. And I learned to hate it. Because it, it was in our church. And I watched some of my relatives, man, get skewered alive from gossip and and then really get put in a world of hurt and I learned to despise gossip and so when someone my my cousins and others would begin to tell me the latest news you know I wouldn't listen to them and um, I would make excuses for them yeah they probably didn't mean it that way and uh, are you sure that's true and it just would it would die the gossip would die when it would come to Jen and I. This was even after we were married. And um, it finally reached a point where things would happen in our family that we didn't know anything about. And they would say, yeah, you know, they didn't tell us things anymore. Because they knew that we just wouldn't listen to it if it wasn't a good thing. And we developed a name like that in our family. Is You know, if you have something bad to say about family, don't go to them with it. And so let's be that way with not just gossip about each other and family members, but gossip about everything. You know, there's so many crazy conspiracy theories out there, it's unbelievable. And it's amazing how many people will just believe them. And man, when you say deep state, you know, it means different things to different people. And some people it means there's a hidden agenda um, and then to other people, it means, man, there's boogeymen hiding in the cupboard somewhere, you know? And um, everything is run by a world elite few people. And yet, much of that is all speculation. It's speculation. Sure, you might see smoke, but you don't know exactly what the fire is. So rather than add speculation to it in the name of the Lord, because that's what a lot of people do, you guys need to stop it, snap out of it, and anchor yourself back with the lens of heaven and look at truth. Let's go over to um, put up on the screen in the New King James, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 5 through 7. Let's start with verse 5. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 in the New King James. And um, while you're going there, I'm going to read a scripture to you. It says, it says, A gossip betrays a confidence. Betrays a confidence. So avoid anyone who talks too much. That's the NIV. 
Avoid anyone who talks too much. Pretty straightforward. Let's keep going. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. And the New King James. This is back in the love chapter that we had been looking at. And let's not assume that we automatically know how to think. That we automatically know what to think. Here in verse 5, it says, Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, takes into account no evil, is, is a very literal translation. And in order to take something or reckons no evil, in order to reckon or take into account, you have to calculate it. You have to think it, right? Uh, let's go to verse 6. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And verse 7. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Can you put verse 7 up in the Amplified? So I said, let's not automatically assume that you and I know how to think. Before you just jump to conclusions on something. Hear something and jump to conclusions. Okay, I'll give you an example. I'm going to use myself as an illustration. So the other day I'm on a Zoom call. There's maybe, maybe 12 of us on the Zoom call. And um, one of the guys is uh, wearing this mask on. And he, we're in the call. Everyone else is like without a mask except this one guy. And he's driving in a car. I can see that. And so um, as we're talking there on the phone or on this Zoom call. Now, I personally, just to give you understanding how I arrived at jumping to conclusions, is I personally won't wear a mask. Okay? The reason I don't is because I see the whole mask thing as a fear-driven agenda, and the Word tells me to abstain from all appearance of evil, so I personally won't, ain't going there. Right? Um, now, I recognize that every business has the right to say... You know, you need to wear a pink fuzzy hat. Whatever. And um, they have the right to refuse you service. Remember that whole cake baker out in Colorado that didn't want to make the cake for the homosexual wedding and, and, and then they forced him to? Um, it's weird that somehow that rule's now not applying. But they shouldn't have made him bake that cake. He has the right to refuse service to anybody. And yet, so I recognize, the reason I say that is these businesses have the right to ma- have, make those rules. Okay, And I also have the right to go shop somewhere else. right? I don't have to spend my money there. So I go in without a mask, and if they stop me, we have a conversation. Normally, it's not an issue. Normally, no one says anything. Every now and then, it is an issue. We have a conversation, and usually, it's not an issue. And if it is an issue, I'll just leave. Say, okay, I'll take my business somewhere else. That happened just the other day. We had a long conversation, how that, and, and they even admitted that, you know, They said, this is not consistent. I know, because we can stand here and have this conversation, but we can't answer the two questions you actually came here to ask. And um, and they even admitted that's not not, uh, consistent. Yet, if he breaks these rules, he might lose his job from corporate. Well, I was real quick to tell him that we don't want you to lose your job. Um, So tell me how I can contact corporate and, and tell them how this is not right. And so, so he did that, and, and we, we parted on great terms. My point, and I went and spent uh, my money somewhere else. 
My point is, is those are my reasons why I don't go into businesses with a mask. You know, if I choose, if someone just, I cannot buy this item anywhere else except this store, and they, they are not going to let me in without a mask, then okay, uh, I could wear a mask under protest and go in there. Yet, I am very, very careful about saying I'm going to do that personally. I'm not saying you should do this, I'm saying personally. Because I just feel like, it, for me, it's giving into that spirit-driven agenda of fear. And um, the lies and the manipulation and the control that's behind there. And, and not only that, as a free citizen of the United States of America, it's an infringement from coming from our government. It's an infringement on our freedoms. And so I have a responsibility to resist it. I have a responsibility to have the conversation with them and tell them, please change your policies. All right? My opinion. You can wear 12 masks. I don't care. Okay? My point is, I told you all of that to help you understand what's going through my head and my thoughts as I'm looking at the Zoom call and one guy's in a car wearing a mask. I'm going, man, this guy's a special level of crazy. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, man. You've taken it up a notch. You know, like, you see these people driving around in cars with masks on by themselves and you go, what, what lunatic is that? <laughs> so, <I'm> just, <laughs> that's what I thought. You know, this guy here is crazy. And then um, someone on the call actually said to him, he said, you know, you'd look a whole lot better without that big blue thing on your face. And uh, he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. He said, uh, I'm in Philadelphia and uh, I'm riding in an Uber and the Uber driver wants me to wear the mask. And so all of a sudden that changed it, didn't it? You know, if he was going to get the ride, he had to wear the mask. So um, he wasn't driving by himself in a car. You know, I'm not talking about the effectiveness of a mask. I'm just saying his reason was completely different than what I assumed, right? And so suddenly, <laughs> I'm laughing on my end because I realized that I just jumped to conclusions about this guy that weren't even true. And yet we do that so quickly because we, we see things and we make a logical assumption and instead of just automatically assuming that we're thinking correctly, we need to ask and examine our things as they appear. Ask the Lord, how should I think about this? Right? How should I think about it? And um, anyhow, I never intended to go into the whole mask thing there, so that, that was fun. Let's go to some examples. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Oh, we didn't read the Amplified. While you're finding 2 Thessalonians, I'll read to you the Amplified. How should we think? Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and it endures everything without weakening. Believe the best about every person. That gossip you hear about somebody... Just don't believe it. Don't be so quick to believe it. The gossip you hear about the, in the news about how this is coming down the road or that's coming or all these things, don't be so quick to believe it. Ask the Lord what you should think about it. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, here we have an example of people and they're thinking, verse 1, Now concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily upset in mind or troubled. 
easily upset in mind or troubled, that'd be troubled with fears, either by spirit or by a message, it'd be a word, or by letter, as if from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Apparently, someone was writing to them, pretending to be Paul, and saying that the day of the Lord had already happened and was over and they'd missed it. And so that would mess with your thinking, wouldn't it? So it's pretty important that these people know how to think. And they would check on the inside, Lord, what should I think about this? Let's go over to Acts chapter 8. And we'll, we'll take a quick walk through Acts and look at several examples. In Acts chapter 8, and um, we see in verse 12, now Philip had gone down, down to this one area, had evangelized the whole city, a whole bunch of them, a lot of miracles happened, a whole bunch of them get saved and uh, baptized and all of this. And verse 12 in Acts 8 says, but when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Jesus said, if you're baptized and believe, you'll be saved, right? That's what he said in Mark. All right, here in verse 13, then even Simon himself believed and after he was baptized. So is Simon a believer? Is he saved? Yeah, he believes and is baptized. And Jesus said, if you do that, you're saved. Well, now let's look at what happens with him. So he went around constantly with Philip and was astounded as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had welcomed God's word, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power too, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter told him, May your silver be destroyed with you because you thought. Someone say thought. Because you thought the gift of God could be obtained with money. Now, who presented this thought to him? You know, whether it was his own greed or whether it was an evil spirit, I don't know, but it was a dangerous thought, wasn't it? It was a thought that leads to destruction. And so, now, now wait a minute, wouldn't it be good for Simon to also be able to lay his hands on people and give them the Holy Spirit? Wouldn't that be a God thing? Yeah. Him wanting to also walk in this is a good thing, except that he thought wrongly about how you do that. How you receive that. And he's thinking he can buy it. Well, Peter says, you know, may your silver be destroyed with you because you thought the gift of God could be obtained with money. You have no part or share in this matter. That word matter is work or doctrine or it's the word logos. Because your heart is not right before God. So your thoughts reflect your heart. His heart wasn't right here. And he had thought the wrong thing. He allowed it to come in and it poisoned his mind. And he says, therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours. Isn't it good news that we can turn from wrong thinking to right thinking? And Paul is, uh, Peter is correcting him here. And, and pray to the Lord that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. So his mind had been poisoned. Go over to Acts chapter 14. In verse 1. Acts 14.1. 1. 
Another example, the same thing happened in Iconium. They entered the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against the brothers. Poisoned them. Some translations say souls. It harmed the souls, but your mind is in your soul realm. They poisoned their mind, poisoned their thinking. Well, that has a significant effect on them and their offspring, doesn't it? I mean, eternal effect. And because they had wrong thinking. You can take in the wrong thought. It's really important that you realize not every thought that comes across your head originated from you. Some thoughts come from your flesh. Some thoughts come from the devil or evil spirits. Some thoughts come from God. And you need to discern or thoughts also come from your spirit. And your spirit and the Holy Spirit bear witness with each other. Alright? And so, um, you need to judge your thoughts. In Acts chapter 28, here in verse 3, you know, Paul had that shipwreck. They all make it on safely onto the island. The ship out there falls to pieces and sinks. Verse 3, they lit a fire and they were around this bonfire trying to warm up. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. When the local people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, this man is probably a murderer. And though he's escaped the sea, justice the God of justice is the literal translation, does not allow him to live. They're jumping to conclusions, aren't they? They're thinking something that's not right. And however, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would swell up or suddenly drop dead, but after they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, oh, he's a God. (laughs) So from one ditch into the other one, right? Still wrong thinking. So just because you change your thinking doesn't mean you change to right thinking. There is a right thinking and there is wrong thinking. Remember, the enemy will give you multiple choice, but they're all the wrong answer. Psalms 31, let's go over there. If you're not anchored into the truth, you'll be unstable. Unstable. And and shakable. Well, I didn't get to all my Scriptures. That's alright. The Lord is taking what I did give you and working it into your spirit. Psalms 31. Now, David is, this, is the writer of this psalm. And we're going to look at verse 13. I have heard the gossip of many. Terror is on every side. This is a perfect description of today, is it not? I mean, there are many gossips out there. Terror is on every side. You know, gossip can lead you right into fear. Right? If you believe things, whether it's true or not, they tell you how scary it is. It can just, just put fear. You can feel fear arrive into the room. That's the moment you need to reject that and say no. Now the Lord is my protector and He keeps me. A lot of the, this gossip belief is just stupidity. I mean, when you give ear to gossip and you believe it, you become dull. Because it, it brings about worry and fear and that dulls you down. 
And you begin to lose your logic and reason even in the natural. I mean, I'm going to give you an illustration. Back when this, uh, earlier on in the whole COVID episode, why the whole six foot of social distancing, people were saying, well, that's because um, for all the cameras is for facial recognition. And if we stand further apart, then they will... um, be able to identify us with facial recognition. And that's why they're saying six feet uh, social distancing, not because they don't want you to cough on each other. And um, a lot of people believed that. I saw lots of believers sharing that on Facebook and other places. And it's like, come on, guys, you're smarter than that. They're wearing masks. If this was for, if this was for facial recognition, they would tell you don't wear a mask, Right? So obviously that's not their end goal um, because that's just dumb. So when we begin to believe lies and we don't hold discernment, we begin to become susceptible to just dumbness, foolishness, simpleness, right? If you believed that, um, you can change, thankfully, and you can say, Lord, help me. Help me not believe everything that comes along. We've all believed things that have not been true already. So we're not going to point fingers at each other. We're just going to say, Lord, help me how to think. Show me how to think. Here, we're going to go on and read. Um, so he said there's terror, on, there's gossip, man. I've heard so much gossip. There's, there's fear on every side, terror. So when they conspired against me, they plotted to take my life. But here's his answer to it. But I trust in you, Lord. I say. See, trust means you believe. And remember, you believe what you've been thinking. So he's saying, my thoughts have been stayed on you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I believe in you, Lord. And what comes out of his mouth? Those word containers carrying the thoughts. He said, you are my God. The course of my life is in your power. Deliver me from the power of my enemies and from my persecutors. Show your favor to your servant." Save me by Your faithful love. Lord, do not let me be disgraced when I call on You. Let the wicked be disgraced. Let them be silent in Sheol. Let lying lips be quieted. They speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. How great is Your goodness. See where He's putting His thoughts? Like He's putting them right back onto the goodness of God. And really, you need to look at the goodness of God. You remember Moses? When he was up on the mountain... And he's like, Lord, let me see you. I want to see you in all your glory. And the Lord says, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to hide you behind the rock over here. I'm going to put my hand in front of you. And I'm going to cause my goodness to pass in front of you. Notice he didn't say, I'm going to cause my justice to pass in front of you. Because Moses wouldn't have been able to live. But he caused his goodness to pass in front of him. And then, then even only to where he could see the backside of it. You know, he shielded him. So, the goodness. He says, I'm going to look at the goodness. How great is your goodness that you have stored up for those who fear you and accomplished in the sight of everyone for those who take refuge in you. You hide them in the protection of your presence. You conceal them in a shelter from the schemes of men and from quarrelsome tongues. May the Lord be praised, for He has wonderfully shown His faithful love to me in a city under siege. Now, keep in mind, He's still in a city under siege. And He's saying all these things. Because He has looked at, He has thought what the Lord said. 
And he has believed what the Lord said. And now he is declaring what the Lord said. And we need to do the exact same thing. Look at what is the Lord say. Look at what has the Lord done for me already. If you've been feeling defeated, if you've been feeling alone, if you've been feeling like you are not an overcomer, I want you to do something very, very specifically to defeat that. I want you to begin to think of and remember the things the Lord has done for you in the past. Miracles He has done financially. Miracles He has done for you spiritually. Miracles He has done for you in relationships. Just the fact that He's protected you from so many things. Begin to count them off. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And allow your focus to be set upon the goodness of God. And in that, when you do that, you will have faith rise up onto the promise that He's made for His continued goodness to you continued goodness to you. There's more, but hallelujah, that's it. All right. You can stand with me if you'd like. Let's just um, pray together and you can repeat after me. Father, I present myself to You this morning. And You know my every thought. And I recognize that not every thought has come from You. I ask You to give me discernment of which thoughts are from You. Lead me by Your Spirit to know which thoughts are from You and which thoughts are from the enemy. Help me to see when the thought is from my own flesh. Father, I repent and change from having any evil thought. Any thought that was not from You. I will not entertain these thoughts. But I reject them. And I receive from You how to think. Mold me. Shape me. Make me like You in my thinking, in my soul, and in my body. I thank You for this. In Jesus' name, and Amen. Well, thank you for coming out this morning and worshiping with us. You're going to go out different. And um, as you meet one another in the basement downstairs, well, be a blessing to each other. Encourage each other. Speak life over one another. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for coming to Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'd like to encourage you in your worship this morning. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is talking to a Sumerian woman in chapter 4. And she's talking about worship. And he says these very startling words. In verse 23, but the hour cometh and now is, this is our reality right now, now is when the true worshipers, see I like to look at every word in the Bible, so if there's true worshipers, there's false worshipers, you know, make, always in, look in your heart and think about these things, they're all important. 
Am I a true worshiper? All true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, truth is a great important word. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes where? To the Father, the Heavenly Father, creator of all. No one goes to him, is a part of him, is in his kingdom, unless they go through me. It's thought-provoking, isn't it? It's something to really think about and share and talk about with other people. He said, true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's coming into agreement with the word of God, because this is the truth. For the Father seeketh such that worship him. He's looking for you. I want you to think about that. He's looking for you right now, this moment, this morning. He's looking to see if you're going to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You cannot worship the Father, God of all creator, unless your spirit is awake to him. Unless your spirit is recreated, unless you're born again. Jesus said you must be born again. Your spirit must be born anew. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but Jesus, right? Jesus came and died for each and every one of us on the cross, shed his blood, buried and rose again from the dead so that you and I could have life and life more abundant and in a communion alive unto the Father. That's worshiping him in spirit. And I'd like to add this this morning because it was so in my heart when I woke up, the importance of being thankful. We have a lot that, you know, is uh, happening in the world today. But we have such a good father, a faithful father. And we have so much to be thankful for. So as you're worshiping this morning, as we worship as family together, let's, let's do it with a great heart of thankfulness for all the things that our father has done for us through Jesus. Let's all stand up together with a heart full of worship to the one and only true God. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank him, thank him for Jesus. 
thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross for me. Thank you that you shed your blood. Thank you that you rose again from the dead, rising up from death to life. You did it for us. You did it for me. You did it for each one of us here today. We're so thankful, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness. Thank you, Jesus. That's who you are to me. Make him your personal Savior, your personal Lord. That's who you are to me, Jesus. You're everything. You're everything. I just feel in my spirit this morning that there might be someone here that doesn't know what it really means to be born again. To really know that you can know God the Father as your Father and Jesus as your brother. That you can have that assurance. The Bible is very clear in Romans 10, 9 and 10 that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus died for you on the cross personally, that all your sins can be forgiven, each and every one, it doesn't matter how bad, under the blood, under the blood, as if it never existed, never happened. If that's you today, just asking you, let's all lift our hands and let's just recommit our life to the Lord Jesus Christ today and say, Father, thank you for Jesus. I believe he is God Almighty. And he died on the cross for me. And he was buried and went to hell three days for me. And he rose again from the dead. The, the firstborn among many brethren and he did it for me and I believe that and I thank you Father I thank you Jesus I'm born again and belong to you in the kingdom of God the family of God let's rejoice and thank him oh hallelujah thank you Jesus thank you Lord now, if you prayed that for the first time, please tell somebody today. Because Jesus said, if you will confess me before my Father, confess me before people, I will confess you before my Father. Be glad about it. It's the best decision each and every one of us have ever made. So, Father, we just thank you. And one way we do love God is by loving one another. So turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you're here today.
Good morning, Church of the Word International. It's good to be with you this morning. We would like to welcome our guests that are here with us for the very first time. So if you're new here, you're here for the first time, raise your hand. We'd like to welcome you. Got a few in the back. Welcome. We trust you're not here by accident and that the Lord has something to minister to your heart this morning. So uh, that's an information card. If you would like to fill it out, if you have any prayer requests that you'd like us to agree with you, you can uh, just fill that out and put it in the offering basket. All right, we are going to prepare to return the tithe to the Lord this morning. So if you need a cash envelope for your giving, raise your hand. And if you're giving by check, you can uh, make it out to CWI. If you're giving by credit card, do fill out all the blanks. So we're going to obey the word this morning and return the tithe to him. And we're going to believe that as we act on the word, that we're blessed and we're provided for. You know, God does want you to prosper. He doesn't want you to be in lack. He's not desiring you lack any good thing. Psalms 23 says, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack, shall not be in need. And uh, 3 John verse 2 says, beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health. So we know the Lord wants us to prosper. He's not desiring that you lack. I want to have you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So I want to bring out this morning the purpose of prosperity. Prosperity is not so you can accumulate a huge pile and sit back and admire it and have everyone else admire it. There's a purpose for it, and it's so you can be a blessing. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verse 10, that, that verse is talking about God making sure that the sower or the giver has resources to give out and is also provided for, but I want to hone in here on verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way. Does that leave out any ways? Would that cover money and stuff and finances as well as other things? But enriched in every way, now here's the purpose, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So God gets the glory. People that are receiving it from your hand, they're receiving it from the Lord. It's, uh, he, they give praise to him. So that's the purpose. Now, in 1 Timothy 6, I want to read this scripture too because it gives witness to it. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, the last part of verse 17 through 18 says that we're to trust in God who richly gives us all things. All things. Now, here's a whole list of things that's telling us this is the purpose for the all things. To enjoy. Oh. So I could enjoy some things, right? Okay. Also, to do good, good works, to be generous, ready to share. So in that list, there's, we can't omit any side of this. Yes, for you to enjoy, but most, look at the other list there. Most of that is emphasized on you being generous, you doing for others, you being a conduit and a channel for the Lord. See, there are people that get a little edgy, a little bit tense, maybe even irritated when you preach this, when you bring this up. In fact, there's whole scores of denominations that would believe God doesn't want you prosperous. But somehow you're more holy if, if you have nothing. We're not going to do that in this house. It wouldn't be a full gospel if we didn't preach these scriptures. 
And I'm just touching on a few. I mean, there are scores of them that point to the goodness of God, the abundance of God, that he wants you prosperous, but it's not to be a hoarder. It's not to be selfish. And, you know, why have a problem with it? Well, maybe because you know some people that have a lot and they seem to be selfish. Or maybe, maybe you have a problem with it because you've heard it preached from the angle that, you know, it's like serve God so you get this. Like it's, a, it's still a selfish thing. Okay, don't be selfish. <laughs> don't be selfish. <laughs> and, you know, if you think... <laughs> Listen, if you, if you are just okay with, look, I just don't want any more than what I, me and my four need to, to, to make it through the day, make it through the week, what, that's selfish. How, how generous, how, uh, um, what's it say, overflowing to every good work can you be when you've got one car and it's a dump, can barely get you to work, somebody comes into town, maybe a missionary or something's visiting and you have nothing to offer, you can't loan out a, a car. But what if you had two or three or four cars? Hey, yeah, take this one over here, and it's real nice. Man, it's last year's model or this year's model. I mean, suppose if you have one bedroom for your family of eight, can you host a family of six? No. Suppose you have barely enough groceries, and that's, you know, rice and beans menu, for your family. How can you invite a crowd over for dinner and be a nice generous host like so you got to think bigger than just what you need and not only that it's the bible so if you're irritated if you're edgy about it you got to say why am i thinking selfishly am i believing the whole word all right well he wants us prosperous and he set laws of increase in place one of them is the tithe covenant you partner with the lord in the tithe, saying, you're my source, you're my provider, and then he's promised to provide for you. He's promised to bless you. So we're going to give him right to bless us by being a tither and being a sower. Amen? All right, take a hold of it. Let's um, pray over that. Father, we are so grateful to you for your word. We're grateful for your goodness to us. We're thankful that you have an abundant mindset, that you don't desire that we be in lack in any way. So, Father, we just purpose in our hearts that as you enrich us in every way, that we will be generous in every way, that we will be flourishing in good works, ready to share as you enable us. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord. Well, we don't have a whole lot in the bulletin this, this week. However, I would encourage you to plug into a home group. Those were just starting up uh, this past week. So if you would like to be part of that, there's still time. Um, talk to Debbie or any one of these home group leaders that you see in the bulletin, and we'll get you plugged in. Also, if you would like to be a part of the CityGate Outreach, that um, is at the first of every month. You can sign up in the back and get plugged into that as well. Let's open our hearts. I believe that the Lord has something to get across to us today, and we need to be good receivers. We need to be expecting that he's going to minister to your heart exactly what you need to hear this morning. <laughs> 